chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. Uh, should be easy to find. <clears throat> Last week we started this series that <clears throat> I'm calling The Trail to the Palace and the, um, uh, the journey in which Moses made it to the to the palace, and we talked. Uh, we started talking uh, last week, and I asked you three questions, and I want to I want to revisit these three questions again uh, because I believe this is at the core of this whole uh, this whole series that we're doing. Um, the first the first question is, do you believe God knows what's best for you? And and yeah, that we all we all would resoundingly say yes to that. The second question: <clears throat> Do we believe that God wants what's best for us? So not only does He know know what's best for us, He wants what's best for us. And then the third question, the harder one, was: Do we believe that God will do what is best for us? And that's the hard one. Actually, uh, trying to wrap your head around difficult situations and try to understand that that is God doing what's best for you. And we talked about uh, Exodus chapter one last week. I'm not. We're not going to read it all again for time's sake, uh, although we got plenty of time. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of just talk through Exodus chapter one and. You let, let's together let's tell the story of Exodus chapter one. I'll start off by saying this: at the beginning, it, it, it talks about the uh, Joseph and his twelve brothers, <clears throat> and then, and then it talks about in verse six it says Joseph died. So what 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 happens after this? What is the the next significant event in Exodus chapter one? Okay, before that, uh, before they populate. Okay, but there's one specific phrase in here that is really important. That what? No, no, there, no. There's a there. Okay, a new Pharaoh comes that doesn't know Joseph. Okay, I'm sorry. After what? Oh, oh, the, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. So then. So then. Okay. My bad. Okay. Um. So. The, but the point is this: <clears throat> the leadership of, of of Egypt doesn't know Joseph, and Joseph had a huge influence in the leader of of, of the leadership of Egypt while he was still alive. But after he dies, then you know that just time happens, and over the years the stories of Joseph just kind of fade away. And then all of a sudden a king or a pharaoh comes to rule Egypt that has no idea who Joseph is. And that is key to understanding what happens next. Um, they they uh, start to outnumber the Egyptians. <clears throat> and then what happens? Yeah, they make the Egyptians incredibly nervous, okay? Yes, ma'am. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Then, then what do the Egyptians do? Because they become nervous. Okay, before that, before that. They make them slaves. Trying to, they, you know, I, I'm assuming the mentality was if we'll enslave them, we'll, we'll do one of two things. We'll either run them off or we'll control them. Okay? And then all of a sudden, then what happened? Yeah, they, 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 God blessed them and they kept populating. <clears throat> and then verse 22, and Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born, yea, shall uh, cast into the river and every daughter you shall uh, save alive. So the, the, the point here is to um, kill every male child that is born to the Hebrews. <clears throat> yes? I never understood that because the men were the... They didn't do the populating. It was the girls. Right. No, absolutely. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Correct. They basically, if you kill all the male ch- children, you're going to do two things. You're going to take away the military threat and take out a whole multiple generations of Hebrew children. Did you say something? Oh, okay. I thought I thought somebody over here said something. So, um, so that is why the male child thing. Um, and I think also, I'm kind of speculating here, but I think also that they were expecting a Messiah of sorts. And who better to do that than a male child, thus eliminating the potential. And then, then that's why in the New Testament, they were killing the, exactly the same same thing. <clears throat> so, so again, going back to where we were last week, we have what we would consider a hopeless situation. And in those kind of situations, we ask ourselves very, very readily, how could anything good come of this? And there have been a few times in my life, I wouldn't say a, a lot, but there's been a few times in my life where I've looked at a situation and said, what good could come from this? And by the nodding of heads, I, 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 I can uh, confirm that other people have thought the same thing. I'm sure when Bob and Candy were sitting in the emergency room with Chris that night, you were probably thinking that, weren't you? But God showed himself strong. So, Exodus chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 1. And it says, And there went out a man of the house of Levi and took to his wife a daughter of Levi. Now, my wife brought up something really interesting because when we read this last week, it it didn't dawn on me until she said something. But... um, uh, Those of you, and this is a should be well known 
uh, answer to this question, what what tribe did the priests come from? The Levites. So, if anybody was going to teach Moses the Word of God, it would have been these two people because they both came from the tribe of Levi. Now, we don't know. I've wondered uh, if uh, Amram, uh, Moses' father, if he was a priest or not. I I don't know. Uh, That's beyond my pay grade. But it's just been one of my curiosities through the years. Um, but anyway, back to the, the, the Bible here. Uh, in verse 2, and it says, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that, she was a, that he was a goodly uh, child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him, uh, 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 she took for him an ark of the bulrushes and and uh, dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put it uh, put the child therein and laid it in the flags of by the river bank and uh, his sister stood afar off to wit would uh, be done to him and the daughter of Pharaoh came down and washed herself at the river and the maid and her maiden walked along by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And the Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. Here Amram and Jochebed have a boy. And they are proud of the boy and fearful for his death. And so Jochebed makes makes an ark and... Um, places little little Moses, three-month-old Moses, into uh, the ark. And I brought up this question last week, and I, again, I want to talk about it again just to you know remind us. Uh, I, I don't believe she just randomly went down and just put him in the river. I personally believe she, she had pre- um, Research would be the word, and and knew that the Pharaoh's daughter was going to be there, uh, and she she very carefully placed Moses exactly where she wanted him to. Now, question: Could she have put him in the river, twenty miles away, and God brought the ark to where it needed to be? 
Absolutely. Okay. So it really doesn't matter what I believe about that. I just, I, I just, if I just, I, I think it's because I know my wife, and if my wife ever had to do something like that, she would be incredibly careful on where she took took the child. Does that make sense? So <clears throat> anyway, just my speculation. Uh, but God, the, the the point is this: God protected Moses through it all, and He cried at the right time. And the fact that the Pharaoh's daughter had compassion on him is, a, is another sign of the protection and the protecting hand of God in his life. Because after she sees him, he cries, she has compassion, then she says, this is a Hebrew child. Yes. Oh yeah, it's definitely a well. Parts of it is, yeah, okay. yeah. And so, if this is where she would go down to bathe, it obviously must be the space that you're building up an ocean, like a cove, a, a you know, a, a harbor of sorts. Right. Not an ocean, but and so if that's where she would go to bathe, it had to be a space built. You would assume so. You you, you would assume so. And it would also explain why she had other people with her to. Well, so she would have had maybe two couples. Right, right. So that just makes sense that she would have put these Okay. My whole point, my main, my main point, not the whole point, my main point in this series that I'm doing on on the, on this is that we must learn to trust God. We must learn to trust God because He will always do what is best for us, whether whether we like it or not. So last week, we uh, point number one we talked about last week was protection. Protection. We saw we saw protection in verses one through five here in uh, chapter two. Um, God's plan. Okay, let me let me. Jochebed and Amram, they were only concerned with keeping Moses alive, right? They just didn't want him to die. Did they have any idea? that Moses was going to grow up to be Moses. No, absolutely not. But God's plan was far greater. And see, that is what we have to remember. Is we can only we can only see what we can see. We only know what we know, but God has the master plan. And he will do what's best for us. Because you never know. <clears throat> there, I think I talked about this last week. There, there have been times in our lives where we've gone through things that have made absolutely no sense. But since we've been here and we've, we've been pastoring here <clears throat> for 15 years now, 
we've been able to help people that have gone through similar situations. And it makes sense now why we had to go through some of those things. You never know what God is preparing for you for in the future. You never know. Letter A that we talked about last week was the, the protection from uh, evil influences. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because uh, they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So again, they were protecting him from evil uh, influences the threat of, of just being killed. God's hand of protection was on on obviously Moses, but again, I want you to go back to and picture the, the the scenario here because <clears throat> if the princess of Egypt looked into that basket and recognized that he was a Hebrew child, all she could all she had to have said was that killed that child. And he he'd have been killed instantly. But again, God's protective hand was on Moses for the greater picture. Beautiful, beautiful picture for us. And then we're going to pick up here uh, at letter B. This is where that's where we left off last week. <clears throat> letter B: protection from the attack of Satan. Protection from the attack of Satan. First Peter chapter five, verses eight to ten. It says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion." walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom, rest, uh, uh, whom resisteth, who resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus uh, by Christ Jesus after they excuse me after that ye have suffered a while have <clears throat> I am having trouble reading tonight excuse me please <clears throat> make you perfect establish strengthen and settle you Jacobed not only was protecting Moses from the threat but she was re- protecting him from a direct attack of Satan. Because what, what is Satan's desire? To destroy. Satan's, Satan's desire in this particular story was to destroy an entire nation. He wanted to do it in the most evil way possible. By attacking through the family, and as I as I sat and I studied and I thought about it, 
I'm here to tell you our families are under attack. No different than in the day of Moses. Satan is not out to make our families miserable. He is out to destroy our families. Every single one of our families. All the male children would would be eliminated, thus potentially, eventually, eliminating an entire nation. Huh? And the Messiah, yes. God, as I as I as I thought about this, I I I couldn't help but think about the fact that God wants parents, grandparents, friends, neighbors, church family to protect the families. We have generation of young people that are being raised today that Satan wants to destroy. And it is up to us to protect those young children. So tonight I'm going to kind of take a little rabbit trail here and preach on the family for a little while. And you think, okay, I'm a grandparent. I can shut him off. No, don't do that. Well, I'm not even a grandparent. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nothing parent, okay? No, we, <laughs> nothing parent. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but you know what I mean. Uh, the reality is we all have a responsibility. Whether we have children or not, it doesn't matter. Satan is out to destroy, kill, kill and destroy. And there are some things that that we see here and some things that I've added along the way. I'm going to give you six things tonight, six ways to protect your family. The first one is to set boundaries. Set boundaries. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Hear, ye children, the instruction of, of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake not my law. Solomon, arguably one of the smartest people to ever live, is saying, hey, you need boundaries. Setting boundaries for children is healthy. We live in a society today that teaches teaches parents to not set boundaries. Oh, your children should be able to do what they want to do. That's not scriptural. Set boundaries. It is a proven fact that a child that lives with boundaries is happier and more content. It's a proven fact. Standards and guidelines are not designed to rob joy, but are designed to give joy. So set boundaries. Number two, give warning. 
give warning. This is where the teaching part of it comes in. Teach your children. Give them warnings. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Fear the Lord. The, the, excuse me, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and, but fools despise wisdom and, 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 and instruction. Give, give warnings. You know, I, <clears throat> uh, I, I remember when I was a little guy, uh, we had a gas stove growing up. You know, m- many of us have gas stoves. And <clears throat> my mom would tell me, don't touch, don't touch. And, it, you know, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I touched. Right? Yeah, more than once. Um, recently, I was watching a child in a parking lot, running through a parking lot, and the parent was running behind the kid, yelling, Stop, stop, stop. Guess what the kid did? Just, just kept on right on running. Right, that's a kid with no boundaries who doesn't understand warnings. But we all know the dangers, do we not, of running in parking lots? Oh, old Granny about had a heart attack the other night. Little, little Daniel jumped out of the van and thought he saw me somewhere and took off running across the parking lot. She about had a cow. Why? Because it can be dangerous, can it not? On July 6, 2011, a hiker, Brian, uh, Matt, I, I am not even going to try and say his last name, um, was attacked by a female grizzly bear near the uh, Wapiti uh, uh, Lake Trail in Yellowstone National Park. He and his wife were visiting the park as uh, thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands do each year. Apparently, uh, they surprised a mother grizzly and her cubs. The National Park Service issued a statement saying, in an attempt to defend a p- perceived threat to her cubs, the bear attacked and fatally wounded the man. Though the man did not intend to harm the the bear cubs in any way. She did not know, and her response was according to her nature. And he died. And we 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 hear that story and we think, oh I mean how many how many times I mean how many how many times have you been to national parks and you see do not feed the bears, stay away from bears and I mean those signs are everywhere and and it never fails. You get some idiot wanting to take a selfie with a bear. I just, I don't get it. But as horrible of a situation as that is, think about this. With a mother bear and her cub, the, the bear is just doing what comes natural to her. But the Bible tells us that there is an even more danger 
to our children. Satan does not want to just kill our children. He wants to devour them. That's reality. We need to warn our children of the dangers so that they can enter this world and stand for Christ with their eyes open, knowing there's an enemy out there. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 12. Let a bear robbed of her whelps meet a man rather than a fool in his folly. Now, the story I just read that happened in Yellowstone is tragic. But what does the Bible say about a foolish man? It's even worse. And we need to warn our children who to hang out with, who to spend time with. We need to warn our children The average parent would probably readily admit, oh, I I warn my children. Do you really? I read a quote I wanted to share with you. Strictness does not ruin children. Harshness ruins children. Our warnings must be always wrapped, excuse me, in love. Our kids need to know truth. But they also need to know we love them and we care about them. We used to have a dog. What was her name? Um, Esther. Esther, big, she was a, a golden retriever, yeah, but she was red. She was a golden retriever, but she was red. Just beautiful, beautiful dog. And um, that was our son Tim's best friend. I mean, he just, if he was home, that dog, he and that dog were just inseparable. But that dog was, it was a, she was amazing. She would, whenever Tim was out in the front yard, which he wasn't out in the front yard often, but if if for whatever reason we were in the front yard, that dog would always station herself between him and the street. She just knew that the street was dangerous. She just had she just knew it. And if he ever started for the street, she would run over and knock him down. You know, he he was he was just at the time he was just a little guy. And you know, she just she I mean she wasn't mean about it, but she'd just run over and just knock him down. And he'd get back up and if he went the wrong way, she'd knock him down again. It was it was it was the most awesome thing. So was her knocking him down mean? Or was it an act of love? It was an act of love. Number three. This is where it gets hard. Set an example. Set an example. I used to tell my kids, do as I say, not as I do. It doesn't work, does it? 
I tried. <laughs> but it doesn't work. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the purpose of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ <clears throat> Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from uh, my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have re remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Why, why was Paul able to write all that about Timothy? Because of verse 5. When I, recall, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwell first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, am I persuaded that, is, that in thee also. Why was Paul able to write to this young preacher boy, Timothy, and say, you know what? I pray for you every day. I pray for you every evening and every morning. I love you like my own son. Why was he able to do that? Because of his grandmother and his mother who set incredibly godly example for this young preacher. And my challenge to you tonight is this. What kind of example do you set for your children, for your grandchildren, for your neighbor kids, for the kids here in church? Because kids are not stupid. They see through us. It's an amazing thing, being a pastor, what kids tell us about their homes. It's awesome. I know more about you than you think. Because kids just tell you the truth. But what kind of example? It is imperative that we maintain a godly life in front of our kids and grandkids. It's imperative. They are watching. They are listening. A study once disclosed that if both mom and dad attend church regularly, 72% of their children will remain faithful. If only dad, 55% remain faithful. This is the sad one. If only mom... 15%. If neither attend church regularly, only 6% remain faithful. The statistics speak for themselves. The example of parents and adults are more important than <clears throat> all the efforts of a church. We have had young people come through our church that have come without parents, 
We have, uh, we've had teenagers that have come, but they never stay. The percentage of American teens who say they want to be like their parents. Okay, I'm going to let you guess at this one. American teens that say, I want to be like my mom and dad. What would you say? 12%? What would you say? 5%? <laughs> no, it's higher than that. Okay, anybody else? Come on, take just guess. Huh? 60 no, no, it's not that high. Okay. No, it's higher than 25%. 30, 30, 30, 39%. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah these, are, these are four-year-olds. Okay. Uh, uh, but I'll be honest with you. When, when, when my wife and I got married... My philosophy was I want to do everything the total opposite my the way my parents did it. Just I didn't want to I didn't want my children to grow up the way I did. Number 4. Be wise to that which is good. Be wise to that which is good. Romans chapter 16 and verse 9. Uh, <clears throat> For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore of your uh, on your behalf, but ye, excuse me, <clears throat> but ye, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Even at a young age, we need to be teaching our children what is wise. I used to get so frustrated with my wife because she is so much smarter than I am. I, I, I would get so frustrated because she, she could always take the most simple lesson and teach our kids spiritual principles out of things. And I would sit there and go, why didn't I think of that? You know, I, I used to get, you know, we'd see the sunset and, you know, uh, and she would make some kind of, and I'm like, I just thought it was pretty. I don't know. I just, you know, learn how to do that. Learn how to, how to teach your children wisdom. One of the things we would do, especially when our kids got to be teenagers, we would teach them relational lessons when another teenager in the youth group or something messes up and does something stupid we would use that as a teaching tool to our children be wise look for opportunities of wisdom William Ward I have no idea who this guy is uh, but I I love his quote he said, the mediocre teacher tells. And we have teachers here. We have three teachers, career, career teachers. Tell me if this quote is accurate, okay? The, uh, the mediocre teacher tells. The good teacher explains. The superior teacher demonstrates. The great teacher inspires. 
Is that is that accurate? We should be as parents and grandparents and fellow members of of our church, we should aspire to inspire our young people. The world does a really good job of promoting evil. And we need to do a better job of promoting righteousness. Unfortunately, many young people today get caught up in the things of this world because we don't have time. Because it's hard to teach our children right. It takes effort. And it's easier to just, oh, I'll do it later. Don't do that. Number five, and this, this should be an obvious one, teach the Word of God. Teach the Word of God. And uh, Let me say this. This is not in my notes. This is, this is free advertisement. This is free, okay? It is not the job of Grace Baptist Church to teach your children the Word of God. Guess whose job it is? It's your job. Now, it is our job to reinforce what you teach and to come alongside you and help you if you don't know how. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt... Talk with them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. In other words, every opportunity you have, teach the Word of God. Look for those opportunities to teach wisdom. I was watching the Waltons the other night. We, we like to watch Waltons before we go to bed. Um, and we were watching the Waltons. And I think it was John Boy. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was John Boy. Um, he did something stupid. And he looks at his mom, and, he, and he's like, okay, how many verses? <laughs> and I, I thought, wow, that, that used to be a, a primetime TV show. And he, he looks at his mom and says, okay, how many verses do I have to memorize? And she she told him, you know, I don't know, like the book of Corinthians. I don't know. I don't remember what the answer was. I was so stunned by the question, I didn't hear the answer. But it just, you know, but there were times, you know, with our kids growing up, you know, there were certain things that if they messed up, it's like, okay, guess what you get to do? You get to write, yeah, write, write, you know, the whole list of verses and, you know, teach your children the Word of God. It is so critical. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 to 17. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, or excuse me, withstand in the evil day, and have having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loin girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, 
above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Do you realize that if all the pieces of the armor that God tells us to put on, the word of God is the only offensive part of the armor. Everything else is defensive. And we should be equipping our children with the Word of God. In Deuteronomy, the passage we read in Deuteronomy, it is not, it, it's non-optional. It is a command to teach your children the Word of God. Take time and teach your children. And then number six, and we'll be done. Practice forgiveness. Practice forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I cannot overemphasize this point. Teaching forgiveness. You know, and the best way to teach forgiveness is to live forgiveness. How many times as a parent, as a grandparent, well, if you're a grandparent, you were a parent. How many times as a parent did you discipline your child accidentally? Maybe the other child did it or the kid down the street did something. Anyway, your kid got blamed and you disciplined them. There were a couple occasions where I had to sit my kids down, put them on my lap and apologize to them and ask them to forgive me. Well, the good thing is, if you don't discipline, then you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but seriously, not too long ago, I, I, I don't. Does anybody here ever jump to conclusions? Just, just. Am I the only one? Okay, okay, I am. Okay. Uh, you know, not not too long. I say within the last year or so, I I, uh, I I jumped to a conclusion based on you know some facts that I knew, and <clears throat> guess what? I was wrong. <laughs> Surprise. And the person that I jumped to the conclusion about, um, I ended up calling that individual and saying, hey. Um, we need to talk. And we, and, and it was a female, and so I took my wife with me, and the three of us sat down at, uh, at the Black Bear Diner. Candy wasn't there, so you don't know who it is. Um, <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, the, me the reason, the purpose of this meeting is simply this. 
I, I need to apologize. And, and she looked at me, she's like, for what? And so I told her. She said, you know, you're the first pastor I've ever met that has ever apologized for anything. And, and that's what I said. I said, that is so sad. That is so sad. Pastors should be the first ones to apologize. Practice forgiveness. I'll tell you what, it will revolutionize our churches. Just within our churches. How many times have you said something in jest and somebody gets offended and hurt? Practice forgiveness. Why? Because Satan is out to destroy your family. And if bitterness can take root in your family, he's, he's halfway there to destroy your family. Practice forgiveness. So let me go over these six things again. We'll pray and we'll be done. Set boundaries. If you have warning, set the, set, it, set the example. You be the one who sets the example. Be wise to that which is good. Teach the Word of God and practice forgiveness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love and for the work You do in our lives. And Lord, as we understand that in the day of Moses, Satan was out to destroy the family. And he is still trying to destroy the family. And Lord, we ask that you would do a mighty work, not just in our lives, but in our homes. And Lord, help us to be exactly what you would have us to be, understanding that Satan is out to destroy our homes. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.